0: My name is August McLaughlin, and I've been contemplating Girl Boners for years.
1: It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin. A spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex.
0: How can you better put yourself out there if you're single and would rather not be? What if your partner gets all hot and bothered during your period, and sex then is the last thing you desire? And what is it like to be a fierce comedian with a brand new one-hour comedy special? And also a female comedian in what she says is still a bit of a boy's club. Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio, everyone. I'm your host, Akis McLaughlin, and I'm so thankful that you're listening. We have a lot to cover today, and it's going to be so fun, I know, because how could it not be? I have the wonderful Sean Polofsky here in the studio. Before we dive in, a quick reminder to sign up for occasional Girl Boner extras at augustmclaughlin.com. You can also now purchase my Girl Boner book on Amazon, and most anywhere books are sold. If you read and find value in it, I would so appreciate an honest review. Reviews are one of the best ways to reach more people, and we creatives, it helps us keep creating. They're also kind of awkward to ask for, so please keep this in mind whenever you read and enjoy any book or, hey, watch a comedy special. Now I'm so pleased to welcome comedian, writer, actress, and producer Sean Pulaski back for her second Girl Boner Radio appearance. Born in Oklahoma, she's been performing since the age of eight, and while obtaining her degree in theater at USC, she joined the improv group Comedius Interruptus, which became her motivating force to train at the Groundlings. By age 20, Sean was performing sketches and improv with comedic giant Will Ferrell. She then soon became a member of the Acme Conference, Comedy theater, Where she flourished in stand-up comedy, leading to her current status as a paid regular at the world-famous Comedy Store. When she's not touring or performing for her, our troops in places like Afghanistan, Bosnia, Guantanamo Bay, Sean performs weekly on their main room stage. You can now find her one-hour comedy special, Sean Palofsky, Stretch It Out, on iTunes, Amazon, Xbox, Google Play, and more. Thank you for
1: being here, Sean. Oh, August. Thank you for having me. Your your voice is so soothing, and we have such opposite voices, because I listen to yours, I'm like, oh my God, it's so feminine, and beautiful, and soothing, and then like I speak, it sounds like my balls just dropped, so... <laughs> You're welcome, everybody.
0: I love the contrast. I love your spirit and your energy. I was just telling our producer of sound engineering here, Mackenzie, that when we met, I was dreadfully bored walking around doing some modeling hosting gig. Mm -hmm. And you were able to... Put on this act as though you're a very professional host person, and then the person would walk by, mm-hmm. and you said something that made me like pee on the floor almost. It was you're so naturally gifted. Have you always considered comedy a part of you? Is it a part of your identity even when you were a little kid?
1: Oh yeah, I knew as a child. Uh, I, I I guess it, it kind of dawned on me. I think I was in second grade, and uh, we had the school play, Wizard of Oz. And I was playing the Wicked Witch of the West, and um, I think I, I when I melted before Dorothy threw the water on me. <laughs> I guess I was a little, you know, excited for my big number, <laughs> and the audience laughed, and I loved the sound of it, and that kind of just put me in the mode like, oh, I did something right. I, I mean, I came from a very funny family, you know, my where we were loud and Jewish, and living in Oklahoma, so we had no choice but to have a sense of humor. And um, I had always been interested in the, the show Saturday Night Live, and that was actually my dream, was to be on SNL one day. And so I started doing sketches and characters and impersonations and, uh, you know, but then my path took a different career after college. And though I started in the sketches and the improv training, I just, I did a, a little bit of a 180 and just dove into stand-up comedy.
0: So your funny family, I know your mom was very, very funny too. Very funny. She's in your comedy special. She is. She
1: steals the whole thing. I think my mom is the funniest thing in my comedy special. (laughs) But my mother, Ginger, she was an incredible woman. And, you know, just always when she spoke and, you know, she sounded like this, she's always like, Sean, when are you going to take me on the road with you? We would be a wonderful comedy duo. I'm hilarious. So she does, you know, now she has her big moment in this special.
0: So she was obviously very supportive. And you said Mm -hmm. growing up in this whole funny family. And in your comedy, you talk a lot about pretty much everything. But you're very open about sex. And you talk a lot about, like, gayness and body parts and Mm -hmm. genitals and all these different things. Yeah. Did you grow up in a very sexually open atmosphere,
1: too? Not really. I mean, uh, no. I, I, I would say my family was we were outgoing, but conservative. You know, I grew up conservative uh, Jewish. And I, I i would just say I my my parents, you know, they were open and supportive, but I don't think they constantly they never really, I, you know, I have to say, let me take that back. Because we had HBO when HBO had like kind of come out. And there were always, you know, like, uh, movies and shows, and there you could watch porn on it, and I could come downstairs and see that. You know, I could see my at least my grandpa watching it, and my parents never really stopped anything like that. So that's pretty big. Yeah, I I I don't know. I mean, they didn't really talk about it. They you know they pulled me aside to tell me the birds and the bees, but my sisters very conservative, and e- even though I'm outgoing about it and I'm open, still the thought of me getting naked sometimes. Is uncomfortable like I I don't like to go to a spa and everyone's walking around nude my head explodes I'm like because I'm that person if I'm on a nude beach which I'll never be but if I am I'm that person that's looking at everybody else and criticizing so you don't want me there but I think there's a point where like I'm the kind of person that I if I'm sharing a dressing room with a friend I will turn around in the corner and remove my bra through my shirt I will do things like that and my sisters do it too
0: I used to be really good at taking the bra I think a lot of people are, but taking the bra off without no- anyone noticing because mm-hmm. I can get away with not wearing one. And so I feel uncomfortable. And I was going to do this whole video series called The Bra Dini, where I would just be out in public <laughs> talking to someone and be like, and just like pull it Voila! up. <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. Because there hilarious. is kind of an art to that. But I also relate to that modesty, like growing up in Minnesota. You don't see naked bodies, you know? And in your special, you also talk about the pressure specifically in L.A., Oh, yeah. To look a certain way. Oh yeah. How has that influenced your performing? I, I feel like comedy is much more accepting of they're kind of expecting people to not necessarily, you know, I don't think there's the same pressure as it would be to be like, you know, an actress in a drama, for example. Uh-huh. Do you feel like there's more freedom and acceptance of different well, shape it's
1: sizes? Kind of a different bias. I mean, I I believe the whole business is ageist. You know, whether it's Hollywood and acting and comedy. I mean, per, like, per se, look at my, one of my besties, uh, Vicki Barbalak, who's now on AGT. She is 60 years old and she's just doing so well on the show. And they all embraced her because her honesty of, I have struggled for so long. I was told I was too big. I was told I was too old. And I've heard it. I've heard it before. I was told at, like, 28, I was too old to audition for Mad TV. Are you serious? I hear that about Saturday Night Live, and here's here's the problem with that. It's like funny is funny. It should be that way. Yeah. But you can see men go on stage at any given time, and they can be 45, they can be 35, and they can even be 50, and they can be, or 60. You know, you look at someone, there's some really great comedians, and they're not as judged as much as a woman who let's say is over 30 and it's not women are judged immediately when we walk on the stage don't think i don't see that and they can say oh the hashtag me too movement you know it's really helped women and there's so many women in comedy look didn't you see netflix there's there's you know all these there's there's what four females like, let's really let's start to go through all those specials and let's go through everything that they see. Go through the lineups at clubs and you'll see that a lineup is full of of men and maybe you'll see one or two women, three tops. And that's why, like, I always felt like the female comics had always got to stick together because we're going to be the ones to help each other. You know, the male comics, usually they buddy up. They help each other. It's still a boys club. And I love to think that people think, oh, now, you know, they're making women leads, you know, comedic women leads in movies. And you've got like your Melissa McCarthy's and, you know, accept her body image and this and that and her age. But they're still a huge bias.
0: Yeah, they're an exception for sure. It's so interesting, too, because I see comedy work as writing because typically, unless you have a staff, you're writing your own material, right? So... Writing improves as we age, Mm -hmm. typically because you have more life experience, you've had more practice. It should be embraced more.
1: Yeah, listen, comedy is not something that happens overnight. You want to be, you want to be in the big leagues. You want to be super famous. You want to be a household name. You better have at least done comedy for at least ten years. I'm eighteen years. I started when I was five, but I I think that. You know, you gotta you gotta put your time in, and you're correct with that. As you have more life experiences, as you get older, you have more to talk about. You have more observations. You've traveled more. I mean, for what I know now, from what and and what's crazy, when I started in this business, I had all this big representation, and I was blue. It you know, and I don't mean like not blue, but I was green. Is what I'm looking for. I was green. I was I was new at it. Um, I also was a little blue, but um, mm-hmm. that but. You know, and, and immediately I got into the Montreal Comedy Festival and I got all these opportunities and I was still, I, I just, I needed more time to cook.
0: Do you have video? Do you look back at yourself when you first started out? Can you see oh,
1: yeah. the transformation? Yeah. yeah, yeah, oh yeah. It's, it's oh, transformation city. I mean, but the confidence that I carry now when I go on stage and, and, and over time, you know, not only have I honed, my material, but what I've really tried to do is change things up. So when I, per se, work at the comedy store, I usually open the shows there. They always give me, and I call it the vagina spot, because they like to put women in the opening spot. And you know what the opening spot is? It's the hardest spot at the comedy store.
0: Because you're warming people up?
1: It's the, yeah. People have just paid $25 to park on Sunset. They paid $20 a person to enter. Then they've, they paid, you know, 40 more dollars for a Mai Tai cocktail. And so at that point, you know, people are almost feeling a little discouraged and like, let's look what's going on in the world. They want to get away. And so they finally have sat down and then the show starts. People haven't really had all their drinks yet. And then I come on and I'm up there and I've got some greasing up to do. I've got to grease these people up and I've got 15 minutes to work them into a frenzy so I can bring on the cock and ball fest. And sometimes, and most of the time, and I, I I, will improvise, I work with the people, and because there's a lot of tourists that come in, and we're not in any given room, I like to talk to the people and improvise and work off my feet. That exercises my brain, and it shows people like, hey, like, look, a woman can be really fast on her feet and make you laugh, and that's what, you know, kind of th- that makes me feel good when I can do that. And hopefully people walk away in that night and they're like, okay, well we saw Dave Chappelle, we saw Crystal Leah, we saw Joe Rogan, but who was that girl that opened? She was really, she was really fast. And so you just, you've got to create that for yourself. And, I, and sometimes I can come out and I can see a room and, you know, and it's a bunch of guys in hoodies, you know, hetero dudes. And they're just looking at me and I'm like, Hey guys, you know, don't worry. My show's almost over. Joe Rogan will be out in 20 minutes. It's almost over, you know, (laughs) and I love to like just call it out. I don't I'm not afraid to say what I see and um, just to just to do.
0: It almost feels like a form of activism. Do you feel a sense of responsibility or fulfillment knowing that you are providing this example of a woman who's out there and
1: I do, I do feel that pressure, I do feel that pressure to be like, you know, I don't want anyone, if I hear one more time, women aren't funny, women comics aren't funny, uh, you know what, and and then they're like, oh, there's just not many female comics out there, there are a ton of us, there have been for a long time, we have been present, we have been doing, and we have been funny, you know what, just because there's more men that you're seeing, there's a lot of unfunny men too. yeah and but if i hear oh gosh women aren't funny that's just that's not they're true they're not looking hard enough right it's like yeah. if you're only
0: looking in your own little comfortable pool of people that you stay with yeah then of course you're not going to see diversity sure
1: and yeah. i i feel like i've got to represent not everyone's going to you know agree with my comedy they're not everyone's going to love me i'm in your face uh you know i'm edgy i'm off the cuff i'm not always politically correct and I enjoy that I enjoy a nice little gasp every now and then like oh I'm sorry you know did that offend you because it doesn't matter to me
0: yeah yeah does it ever feel do you get that feeling of trolling does that happen in comedy too oh yeah yeah how do you deal with it
1: um you know I've been I've been lucky so far that once in a while you know Twitter can get you into trouble we've seen that many times and you can make a joke and you can say something and someone is like, I can't believe you would make a, a reference to the Holocaust or something like that. And I'm like, OK, well, hello, I'm Jewish, first of all, and I had relatives in the Holocaust. And if I can say something and I'm not, you know, I, I wrote for Joan Rivers, for God's sakes. You know how many jokes she did about stuff like that on fashion police and and the jokes that my jokes were calm. The jokes that other people wrote that got through, she would just say it. And I admired that because that that's what what drove her was to just walk that fine line. And I, I'm okay with it. And people, not everyone is are, they're not going to be happy with me. I mean, you get people like, she's not funny. How could you make a joke about this or that? I mean, everyone's so sensitive these we days. We can't
0: please everyone is oh, another thing. And yeah. you're so big hearted and I know that you do everything with love and respect for people, you know, And but you also seem like you're a risk taker and you kind of thrive a little bit. Like you said, living on that edge uh-huh. of it. Does that also kind of go into other areas of your life? Specifically, I'm wondering, you talk about your husband. You're mm-hmm. fairly recently married. Yes. In your special, you talk about the pronunciation of his name and there's this mm-hmm. really funny bit. Does that kind of being daring, did you go out there in seek of love or how did you meet?
1: Oh, I was seeking love for about 10 years. And I went on every website possible because I knew it. when I'm around, I'm kind of this, I'm this outgoing person, especially you see me on stage. And I am this outgoing person. Person and I love people. I really do. I embrace people, and I have a big heart. And if I've met you once, and I, I will walk through fire for you. And but I think when it came to meeting men, I had this nervousness. And if I was ever approached, and it, and it's rare that I'm approached because, again, I'm this aggressive, uh, brazen, brash woman on stage, and a funny brazen woman on stage is not necessarily what men find attractive what men what but it's reversed for men when men are in a uh, you know when a women are in the audience and a, a a not so good looking you know male comic comes on stage maybe not so attractive but he's really funny oh my god it's like a line of a line of pussy out the door they just line up the women love him but for a woman, even if you're whatever you look like, or even if you're semi attractive, guys just hold their balls. They're scared. Nobody wants to talk to you. So I had to go be aggressive and go look for my mate. And that's what I always, you know, I always recommend to women and my friends that are single. And they're like, how can I find someone? You know, I'm, I'm 41. I'm 52. I'm 36. And I said, well, what are you doing? What are you doing to find that someone? Well, you know, I, I go to the ballet. Oh, okay. Well, let me tell you what's not at the ballet. Straight men. So let's try this again. What are you doing? Well, I, you know, I fly on airplanes. Okay. Well, it, we're not in the days anymore where you're hoping Mr. Wright sits sits next to you on the airplane or you hope that you'll go to that wedding and there's going to be a single guy there. This is the day and age of social media and technology. And I figured that out 10 years or 11 years ago when JDate came to form and match.com and plenty of dicks or plenty of fish, whatever it's called. Uh, I just signed up for everything I could, and I went on thousands and thousands. I went on before Tinder, there was something called Blender. And Blender, Blender was designed. By the three gay gentlemen friends of mine who designed Grinder, the gay app where how gay men meet with oh, really? the GPS app, yeah. Interesting. And so they launched something called Blender, B L E N D R, and they asked me to go to their launch party. They're like, "Can you put this app on your phone?" I said, "Well, I didn't have an iPhone at the time." I said, "Oh, I'll put it on my iPad." In the middle of the night, it started dinging. And I was like one of the only women on there because there was a bunch of gay guys on there at first, trolling for straight guys, which was hilarious. And then there was me. And then with time, I started to see how these, you know, these GPS apps work. And. I would just try and that's and sometimes I would travel the world I'd go to Spain and that's how I would meet people because I I don't know how to approach I was really bad at it so did
0: you go on a lot of dates as well so you're meeting them online yes and how choosy were you did you were you just like the more dates the merrier or were you looking for a particular kind of person to meet in person
1: I was open to be honest I dated you know again I grew up in Oklahoma Oklahoma was pretty Christian and it was pretty white and my dream for my parents, my grandma Bertha, my family was, you're going to marry a nice Jewish boy. Well, let's face it. I'm in Oklahoma. There are no Jewish boys. There's my dad and my brother, Derek, which I say in my special. But uh, I just, you know, I had to have an open mind and with time and and you know, I'm an ally of the LGBTQ community. I travel a lot working and God bless gay men. They are my bread and butter and they have a loyalty towards me, but they've taught me a lot. They've taught me things that I didn't know. And I was uh, working, I, I entertain a lot on all gay male cruises. So it's like 6,000 gay men on a ship. And uh, they had told me, they said, Sean, you know, you should open your mind. Have you, you know, been with any Latinos? Have you ever done this? And oh, the Brazilian man, that's the top of the food chain. And, you know, they kind of opened my eyes. And so I started just to be open to all types of men, younger, older, not too old, but younger. And I went out with, name it.
0: Were there any really awful experiences? Did you have a lot of good dates? Was it just a huge, huge... Mix.
1: I mean, I would say out of the thousands of dates I went on, maybe like one terrible date where the guy was just so completely rude to my face, I just left in the middle of the dinner. But honestly, my experiences, you know, I just made, I had nice conversation. And and the thing is, this is what I tell people. you got to, you know what, if someone sets you up, and maybe that's not your type or someone online hits on you and they seem like a nice person, like give that person a shot. I've sat with people. I've sat with, I'm, I'm five foot two. I sat with a guy who was like five foot. And I was like, oh my God, you know, he's like the lollipop guild. How could I date this guy? He's like, you know, Gollum from Lord of the Rings here. And I, I, I fell in love with this person for a bit. And he, it ended up, he he ghosted me.
0: Because you never know, right? No. And I think because we have all these choices online, it's very easy to be too picky and go, oh, well, there's this huge menu and I don't have to just choose one. And it's easy to kind of overanalyze. Yeah. And I think what your approach was so great because you're like, I'll just have fun.
1: Isn't that what dating's supposed to be? Well, you know, it got to the point where I was getting older and all my sisters were married. My brother was married. And I looked around. I said, I want to find someone. And I do. And I was in it to win it. I wanted to find that person. I wanted to find that one. And after just this soul searching and putting myself out in any way I possibly could, I took a love potion, my, my gay wait, friend. Wait, 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 yeah, yeah. Oh, I did everything. What is this love potion? I You know, I had this um, gay friend, Charlie, and may he rest in peace. I love this guy. He had put together, he was like a white witch, and he's like, he was dating this other guy who was a white witch, and... He said, We're gonna put this thing together, put some spells on it, and you're gonna meet the one. And they literally sent it to me. I don't, uh, they could have put a roofie in I I don't know what was in it. I think there was some scent of wine. I I don't know. I just, they they FedExed it to me. Mm -hmm. I took it. They said, You have to light candles, you have to do this. I was in a Sheraton in La Jolla. I was performing that, that weekend at the La Jolla Comedy Store. I thought, oh, my God, I hope housekeeping doesn't walk in <laughs> and see me with this lavender candle the chanting and drinking this potion. And I, I, did, I got hypnotized. I would do whatever it took to meet that person. And lo and behold, you know, maybe about seven months after that, I did. I did meet the right one.
0: How did you know he was the one? Was it? pretty quickly or did it take a little time to get to know him and then you were like
1: whoa uh it took I think it was second date you know I I, I had met him because I had put out on social media that I had a show at the comedy store and if anybody wanted comps and one of my gay friends reached out and said oh girl I need six tickets but they're for my you know they're for a bunch of straights and myself I'm not coming with gay guys I said oh that's okay David you know straight people are okay too he said well they're my coworkers. I'm coming with a an Israeli, a Russian, and a Brazilian. And I was just like, oh, 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 you know, I ignored the Russian and the Israeli. Been there, done that. And I had a, I had this thing for Brazilian men. I just loved it. And I said, oh, did you say Brazilian? And he said, yeah. And I said, it's a man? Yeah. Single? Yeah. Cute? Yeah. Hook it up. He says, I got gotcha. you. Mm. So he told Rafael, my husband now, about me. Rafael researched me and I didn't research anything. I didn't ask his name. I just was happy he was breathing, and he was coming to a show.
0: (laughs) And he knew all about you.
1: And he, yeah, he said he researched me, and he said, oh, God, look at all the pictures, and he saw me with all these good-looking men, and he was getting mad, and then he realized, oh, wait, they're a nut huggers. Oh, okay, I get it. They're gay. So he came to the show. I was running late to my show. I met all the coworkers, I met him. Honestly, that night, I didn't remember what he looked like. I remember he was front row to the side. And I started picking on two uh, cute guys from New Zealand in the front. And I started talking about, oh, you're probably uncircumcised. And there's sneaky snakes. And and then I said, oh, Rafael, you're from Brazil. You've got a sneaky snake. And and Was you know, that the
0: first thing you ever said to him? Yeah. It was <laughs> nice to meet you.
1: And then it was, oh, you've got a sneaky snake. And, and he was like, she's the one. Yeah, yeah. And he laughed. He goes, come on. And that night, I had other friends in town, and we went drinking. I didn't stay for the show, left. And I reached out to my friend. I said, hey, thanks for coming to the show. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Brazilian was hot. Even though I didn't remember what he looked like, I just was happy. And he said, oh, we had such a good time, and the Brazilian would like your number. And then Rafael texted me immediately, and I was sitting with two queens drinking, and I didn't know what to say. And it was it was very cute, you know. he was, was like, I like the way you stretch it. Um,
0: and <laughs> because you're a show then what's called stretch, stretch it, it, it out.
1: Stretch it out. well I always have I have a tagline on my show and it's stretch it out. And people are always asking, and it always comes, it's kinda like a rim shot when you know you hear a pum bump after a joke. So if I've said something in a one liner that's funny, I'll lunge to the left with my hand up and I'll go stretch it out. And that's just kind of like my own version of the "pum pum." It means nothing. But boy, do I, boy.
0: It's so funny. And it's the physical comedy is brilliant.
1: Well, I think you. I mean,
0: you use your entire body and like almost the whole stage, it seems like. I it's
1: think, so cool. I think being physical is very important. I like a high energy comic and I love the physicality. I love being physical. I think it's different. You don't see a lot of women being physical. And I've been doing being physical for 18 years. I will take a pratfall. I will move and I will do. But yeah, Rafael, he embraced that. And by second date, we'd gone to go see John Mayer. And I just, I knew. At first date, I didn't know. He was getting ready to go back to Brazil. And then it came back tenfold. And second Mm. date, that was the charm.
0: That's so great. You seem like a really happy couple. I love your photos and... He's a good guy. Yeah. He's, you know, we, there's a yin and yang there. It seems like it. I get that from the photos. It seems like there's a
1: balance. In yeah. Personality He's very wise, quiet you, and yeah. sweet. You know, we watched a, the movie the, uh, A Quiet Place the other day. And I said, you know, some people see this as a horror film, but my husband saw it as a fantasy. I'm telling you, he probably was just like, oh, I pray one day I'm trapped <laughs> in the field and she could never talk again. <laughs>
0: I'm sure he would say the opposite. He's probably oh, so no, <laughs> But we all have those bumps. I actually have a question from a listener. Oh, good. About a, a little bump that she's facing and, okay. and wanted people to know about. And okay. we have a response from Dr. Megan Fleming, a sex therapist in New York City uh, of greatlifegreatsex.com. And then we will chat about it as well. This question came from Serenity, who wrote this. My boyfriend seems to get the horniest during my period pretty much every month. First of all, what is up with that? Anyway, this last time when I told him, sorry, but it's that time of the month, he brought up some article about how period sex is good for you. I get that. But that doesn't mean we have to have sex. I bet I'm not the only one who has faced this type of thing. So I wondered if you wanted to share that with your listeners. Thank you, Serenity. I'm so glad you brought this up because it reminds me of I wrote an article about mm-hmm. the health benefits or, or the bad things that can happen to you if you stop having sex. It was a to me. That was the title. And as I was researching it and seeing what other information was out there, I realized a lot of the articles are trying to, like, scare people. If you don't have sex, your life will be over and you'll die and you'll get cancer and all these horrible things. Really? And it's like, yeah, and actually, you don't have to have sex to be healthy. Obviously, I'm a big fan of sex, but you don't have to...
1: Not having sex could give you cancer? I thought it was just like having, like, a Splenda or... <laughs> <laughs> See, I already he scared you, and it's not even true. I'm like, oh, no.
0: <laughs> That's the whole thing. There's, like, these... It's that whole, I think, headline, Yeah, you know, the clickbait. They're like, look out if you don't have sex this many times per week. I'm Jewish. I'm
1: born a hypochondriac. So I'm always like, it's going to happen. Okay,
0: well, it's not. I just want to put that out there. You're fine. You can be healthy whether you're having sex or not. Thank you. It has benefits. But the same thing with period sex. You know, some people like that it can help reduce Mm -hmm. cramping. Some people are hornier then. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that you have to. Everybody's so different. Here is what Dr. Megan Fleming had to say.
2: Serenity, thanks so much for your question, and you know what? It's the first time we are answering this on Girl Boner, but to that point, you know, this is something that many women and men, as you're sort of indicating, month to month, it's it's something that comes up in the relationship, and there's no right answer or gold standard here. You know, the reality is this feels like a bit of a desire discrepancy, right? That it's interesting, he tends to be, or it seems to you, he's horniest during your period, and I've certainly worked with women and known women who equally their horniest you know not at ovulation is during their period but that's certainly not true of all women and doesn't seem to be the case for you and the reality is if you're feeling bloated, crampy, uncomfortable, heavy blood flow like that's not necessarily so sexy right so most importantly if you're not feeling good in your body and you're just not feeling aroused or turned on then that is really what needs to be communicated because listen, there is certainly no reason to not have sex in your period. There's no harm to be caused there. Although, as I say that, it's important people recognize, although a very, very low probability of getting pregnant, you could get pregnant, especially women who have a short cycle. Um, because again, sperm do stay alive for a number of days. So again, you want to be careful about always sexual health from an STD perspective, from a pregnancy perspective, but you know there's no harm that's going to happen from having sex during your period but that being said that doesn't equal you want to and so these are those desire discrepancies that we're always negotiating with our partners and i think a part of that is saying to him you know when if you're not in the mood hey what else can i do or what else would be a turn on and specifically that might be sexual right it might be a good time to pleasure him giving him a hand job, a blow job. And, or it might be a time to say, you know, what else could we do, right? That would be pleasurable or, um, helps him feel seen, cared for, desired. And, you know, that's not necessarily explicitly sexual. Um, ultimately the thing that I want you to mostly take away from this My answer here is that you are your own expert and you know when you're turned on, you know when you're turned off. And if it's not a good time, you need to be an advocate for yourself, right? Because just because, quote unquote, you can have sex, right? It's not going to cause harm doesn't equal that you have to or should or most specifically want to. So I always want you to be your own expert and honor what you're thinking and feeling and then communicate that to your partner. So that really is where I would say, you know, it's not often um, a definitive conversation. It's a series of conversations and it's really a month to month thing because, you know, there might be a month where you happen to have a really light flow or you're stressed out and that's making you horny or whatever it might be. So, you know, this is something that's going to ebb and flow over time. But the thing that's the most important is when, if you're not in the mood, you're not in the mood. So you, as a couple, are going to figure out what else is an option and what works for you both. So as always, would love to hear how it goes.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. Megan. I love what she said about being your own expert, you yeah. know, and advocating for yourself. As she was speaking, I was thinking one thing he might be really turned on by is a lot of times during our period, we're like more feisty.
1: You know, like all of our emotions. Is that what we call it? <laughs> I do. I know some you call people it use some negative words. But... I'm like, get out of my way. And maybe,
0: maybe <laughs> that's kidding. the turn yeah. on.
1: You never know. You know what I'm saying? What do you think, Sean? Well, you know, I kind of view this as something like, because I've never been in the situation of men wanting to have sex with a pre- with a pregnant partner.
0: Or during a period. Yeah.
1: yeah. And so I, I would say I would kind of compare those two because, but I haven't been in that position to be pregnant and had somebody because I had never been pregnant. But I think... Yeah. I mean, if she's not comfortable, this is about her. And I don't think it's about her not ever wanting to have sex. And if you don't feel comfortable and you're not going to be a part of that, I think the doctor's right. You know, you got to do a little reach around, little hand jobber, whatever you can do, or just do something spicy. Put on a little, you know put on a little costume or an outfit, do some role play, or just do something else that maybe, I mean, I know you're going to have to think of something once a month, and that's a lot of money spent at Trashy Lingerie, but, you know, I find something else that maybe that'll make you feel a little bit more comfortable in the situation. It's yeah. it's her body. Absolutely. So you don't want to do, and I know there's been, we are not, we can't be the only women that are like, oh, he wants sex, I'm going to give him this sex now I mean I'm however I'm a very sexual person and I embrace it and I love it and I am open to a lot of things and not every you know not everybody is like that and right. not all men are like that
0: and a lot of us I think did learn you were saying how some people are like I need to give him this I think sometimes people there's a sense of entitlement on on both sides mm-hmm. where where one person thinks oh Well, you're supposed to do this. For me, or you know, yeah, like, or that's they won't love dynamic. you anymore. Yeah, which is it? Really, he probably wants to connect with her. Otherwise, he'd masturbate, right? Right. So it's more about how can they connect together, and also maybe asking him what is it that's turning you on? Do you think right now, like, are you into tampons? Do you
1: like the smell of menstrual blood? Are you like yeah. into my
0: feistiness? Uh, who knows? I it never really met things.
1: a guy that ever like verbally said those words to me. Never said, oh, you know, hey, I, this is this turns me on. I, I and. For all the men that I had met and been with, I hadn't really heard a story like this. I just have usually heard the opposite, that, like, women...
0: I've heard from people like that, too, yeah. The woman—the yeah. woman's menstruating, she's like, he thinks it's gross, or she thinks it's gross. Yeah, they and I never, gross.
1: I've been open to that. I've never been one that's like, oh, that's so disgusting. It's like, sex is sex, and if you're right. intimate with someone, and especially if you are in a long-term, committed relationship, do I suggest, you know, running out and doing stuff with just... Randomly with people, you got to be careful. And I think, like in this day and age, huh, sure, people forget. They just forget. And if I could just count how many times, when I was with a man, and it came down to the time we were about to have sex, and there was just no condom in the mix, and I thought, what do, you, what, what's going on? Yeah, and I think
0: that's really common. Most oh, women crazy. I've talked to have said, I, I'll ask, you know, who brought up any kind of contraception or birth control or. You know condoms, mm. and I would say ninety nine percent of the time.
1: Oh, I used to carry women. I used to carry a pack of Magnum XL condoms because you know, and if 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 you if you build it, it will come. So I used to carry those in my bag in case I ran into like a Brazilian soccer team. I don't know what my fantasy was like getting an elevator. Like, oh, hello, <laughs> Felipe, Esperanza. You know, I it it didn't matter to me, and mm. but I was always I always seemed to be the responsible one because I cared enough about myself and my body. And again, yeah. it's, it's my body. And if you don't take these protective measures, people think they're invincible today.
0: It's a sign of respect, as you said, to yourself, to your body, to the other person. And I think sometimes people are afraid to bring it up because maybe it seems not so sexy, When in fact, it's super sexy if somebody cares. Oh, <laughs> like if yeah. somebody's like, I really want us both to be all right. So I think, I respect you enough to, you know. How do you feel about this kind of condom? That's actually a really sexy thing. Mm-hmm.
1: And if I hear that, uh, you know, condoms don't work on me, boy, what a monologue they would get from me. And within like two minutes, that 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 shit was over. And sorry, I killed yeah. that boner. I'm sorry. Yeah, like that's okay. That's not okay to me. And I just there, I just can't even really believe how many people are like that today. Men in general. It was pretty. It was pretty surprising.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's unfortunate. So I know you said you've talked to a ton of gay guys who are kind of your you have a huge fan base and yeah. you talk about everything and they really confide in you and want to interact. What have you learned about sex and relationships from all of those conversations and relationships?
1: Well, it, it, I, I see seen the LGBTQ community, especially with with gay men, not not really with a lesbian women. But with gay men in general, it's like, especially now, you know, equality and gay marriage is legal. And you'll see these partnerships of husbands. And then there's a third person. And now there's, you know, sometimes there's four. And they all live together. And I'm just like... I look at something like that. And what you also notice in the gay community, there's a lot of, you know, polyamorous is what I'm trying to say, relationships, and that's kind of how they make it work. But gay men, you know, and this isn't for everybody. There are, there are definitely monogamous, committed gay male relationships. But for the most part, what I have experienced with a lot of my gay male friends, and some of them I've even married, it's they're together and they have agreements of, hey you know i can be with someone else just as long as you approve or the
0: whole monogamish it doesn't right? even
1: mean they all have to be together Yeah, it's just someone can go out and be with someone else and just as long as you tell me about it mm-hmm. you don't sne- you don't fall in love with that person and i just and and they roam in group especially on the cruises you'll approach a gay man a, a gay group of men, you'll go, hi, you know, I'm Sean. Oh, uh, Sean, this is my husband. This is my bo- my boyfriend's, my other boyfriend, my ex-boyfriend and his ex-boyfriend. And it's like, are you kidding? That's okay in the gay ca- male community. I think in the heterosexual female community, if I met a guy and he'd be like, this is my ex-girlfriend, my other ex-girlfriend. I would cut a bitch, you know what I mean? I would just, I would pull the weave off. I'd be <laughs> like, uh-uh, why are you hanging out with all your exes?
0: I do think that... The LGBT community, because they have always felt less conventional just because there's been less acceptance, even though I don't really think it's less common, really. If you look at we're all a lot of people are much more fluid than, you know, Mm -hmm. there's this whole spectrum or however you want to see it, Mm -hmm. uh, swirls of gender and sexuality. But I feel like because they already feel like I don't have to be in this box, they're more open to experimenting with other things and to I have lesbian friends who are polyamorous and will have love relationships with multiple people, but sex with just one or yeah. sex with multiple people and love with just one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I also have a friend who used to be polyamorous and it just she, she's much prefers monogamy and, you know, went back to that. And so it's a really interesting I think there's an openness.
1: Well, it's like it's OK to hear about, you know, it's and it's it, people are such hypocrites because they'll be like, oh, swingers, blah, blah, blah. You know, and that's OK in like the heterosexual community. And if people hear like, oh, gay men have multiple partners and they're in something and people lose their minds about stuff like that. And I'm just, you know, like I say, the the LGBTQ community inspires me. They open my eyes. And if that works for a relationship, more power to you. I don't care. You're gay, straight, whatever you are. Yeah. You're trans. Just do what's going to make you happy. I see these really happy relationships with three men and this is this is how it works for them and some more like there's we all have a short time here on earth and look how this world is is it's it's so crazy right now and so what's going to make you happy and what's then wrong with do having it.
0: if they see that as more love i think one of the differences i see is it's relationship by relationship is how i've seen it like in the sex positive world mm-hmm. some people just know they always want to be <clears throat> non-monogamous and some people always want to be monogamous but then there are also people who are like well this relationship feels Mm -hmm. like i want it to be only this Mm -hmm. because i want all of my love and affection and time to go into this relationship Mm -hmm. and then another relationship they might go oh actually i feel like i have the the bandwidth you know like i have this space in my life to nurture these several relationships yeah like for me i i don't have interest in having you know how do you fit that all in? For me, because I'm a very, like, I hyper-focus mm-hmm. on things. So mm-hmm. I think I want my relationship to be, like, my one, mm-hmm. you know, my closest one relationship. But I think that everybody is so different personality-wise. Yeah. And then throughout your life, too.
1: I think I've hung around the gay community so much. Like, my husband, I love him. We're very monogamous. But I'll be, like, every now and then I'll be, like, can I get a boyfriend? And then I'll be, like, I will kill him. And I'm, like, all right. <laughs> okay. I guess, is that no? <laughs> Is that um, a no? Is that a no? Is that a no? But it's like I'm not dead, you know. I I, I walk around, I see a track, and, and I'm I'm worse, and especially if I'm walking with my gay male friends, but if we see something that walks by that it, both our heads turn, we both make cat call. I find myself doing that sometimes, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm like Benny Hill over here. I'm like a a, a perv, but you know, I think it's like for whatever is going to work for each person, whatever's going to make you happy. Hey, no judgment. No judgment from me.
0: Mm-mm. Yeah, and I, I, I love that about you. It's evident in your person and who you are. And also, I see it in your work, too, for sure. Oh,
1: well thank you. I appreciate that. I mean, I just feel like it, in this day and age, it's just we need to embrace everybody. There just needs to be more love and more attention paid to human beings themselves. And I find I, I, I get so, so enraged when I see people ignoring not just being kind daily going through your day you know whether you're at the grocery store and someone's checking you out um at the checkout stand and you're like hi how are you today like no one makes conversation, especially in los angeles you know if i'm pulling out of a parking structure and i don't just hand them my money hi how are you today oh that's good you know and sometimes people are so shocked like even when you go to like chipotle and you just ask the person behind the counter that they're Just they're in their game of making everything. But if you just say, "Hey, how are you? How are you?" You know, they're always like, "Huh?" You know, and that you just gotta you you want to. I want people to be more loving, and I think sometimes I think people forget that.
0: I think you're right. Absolutely. The human connection is so important. Can we all hold hands and sing Kumbaya now? Can <laughs> we? I can't my reach gosh, you from Oh, go, my gosh. Oh, man. Yeah. You're so right, though. How does it feel to have... Because this is your first one-hour special. Yes. How does that feel? It must be an incredible amount of work. I know there's always... We see the result, mm-hmm. but so much went into it.
1: Yeah. It. Uh, this... I I did a comedy special for Showtime, but it was with a couple of other girls and it was called lip service So this is my first hour and I produced uh, Wrote it they got the people in the seats. We shot two shows 500 people back-to-back each so thousand people I orchestrated that I orchestrated getting the team together uh, To film it I orchestrated you know helping get the distribution to get the company to I, I'm doing the social media I am one woman and it is my blood sweat and tears mostly tears and it it's I feel like I've given birth yeah I, I can relate to that part. Like it feels, actually,
0: my mom, who has five kids, Ooh. said to me after I finished my first book, she said, Congratulations, you just birthed your first novel. And I was uh-huh. like, You totally get that. Mm-hmm. That's awesome because it does feel you put so much work in and then you release it into the world. And then yeah. there's so much more work again because now so you're much... promoting it and you're putting it out there and getting feedback. And yeah. it doesn't stop.
1: And it's great. The response has been overwhelming and so kind and good. And people have, have stood behind me, and they send me the receipts of buying it, and someone like yourself who showed, you know, you're watching it on a TV screen, and I'm i am so overjoyed, and I'm so grateful to anyone and anyone, anyone and everyone who's, who's stood behind me. It's such a, it's such a long road trying to make a name for yourself, and if I don't do it, no one else is going to do it for me and that's another thing about stand-up comedy and about this business in general you could have a great team of people behind you but it's really you're going to be the one who sells yourself and how you present yourself and how you market yourself is that's really the name of the game
0: yeah no one will ever care as much about your passion project as you do (laughs) You know, and it's so hard when you're a really proactive person and you're used to like getting things done, and if not everybody else is going to be at the same pace as you mm-hmm. and having to follow up and stand up for yourself. And I find myself learning so much personally as a, just about my own existence and space in the world and how I interact with people and it's, it's challenging and and growth inducing. Have you been able to celebrate and relax and enjoy as well? No. (laughs)
1: Oh no. We need to fix that, Sean. I, 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 you know, again, this just, this, I just released it this, this week. So (laughs) no pressure. Listen to me. I'm like, how can I not? uh, (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I had a release party the night before, but I just was, boy, was I stressed because I'm trying to answer everybody and thank everybody, and encourage, and and I'm really putting pressure, especially like my celebrity friends, comic friends. I'm like, hey, you got to talk about this, help me out, because if someone comes to me and says, hey, can you do, th-? I say yes. I'm a yes person, and it's like trying to get your name out there. You know, I didn't, I, I'm not on, you know, HBO. Not everybody has HBO, but everybody mostly has iTunes, Amazon on demand. If you you know, you can afford regular cable and you're a real adult, you can just turn on your TV and get it. You know, if you are a millennial and you've cut the cord, then go to your Amazon. If you're 14, you could and you're a young 14-year-old boy, you can go to Xbox. Yeah. It's it's Available on so many platforms and and so affordable. You can rent it, you can buy, buy it. it,
0: you can review it.
1: I mean, and today the album came out, so Yeah. Maybe you don't want to watch me. Maybe you don't like the way I look. You know, a maybe it was just laugh. in the car. Yeah. Or they want to
0: hear it in traffic. You can or... get yeah,
1: you can buy it on iTunes, you can hear it on Pandora, SoundCloud. Find it. You can I'm there. I am here and I'm not going anywhere.
0: So, where can people find you on social media? Remind people so they can reach out and tell you what they think of your
1: show. Well, you can uh, you can go to my website, which is haha chick h a h a c h i c k dot com. That's easy, and then anywhere on social media, I am at Sean Pulowski, at Sean S h a w n Pulowski, P e l o f s k y. You can find me, or you can just show up at the world famous comedy store any given week. And I'll take care of you. I'll email me. I'll send you comps, whatever you need. I'm I'm all over. Thank you for stretching out your Girl Boner today, Thank you. Shawn. Thank you. Thank you so much, August, for having me. And get the special. Stretch it out.
0: If you all are enjoying Girl Boner Radio, please subscribe on iTunes. If you haven't, you can find us also on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and iHeart Radio. And leave us a simple review while you're there. Thank you so much for listening. And have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week.